I know back again from quarantine. We're here to talk about probably the most highly anticipated NFL draft that I could even remember, and it's not really because of the prospects, but more just about everyone's situation. Yeah, yeah, it's it's certainly going to be something unique. You know, they're holding this this NFL draft completely virtually, um, and so I, I don't know if there's going to be a crew at ESPN inside Bristol or not. Um, but all the players, you know, are going to be at their homes. Joe, I live in the same, you know, town as Joe Burrow, so the number one overall pick is going to be right here in in Athens, Ohio. Um, all the players are going to be in their homes. You know, there's no walking up on stage. I think Roger Goodell is doing the whole thing from his basement, um, which a lot of people have mocked or made fun of. I'm sure he has a very nice basement. Um, but, yeah, and, and on top of all that, we are starved for sports, and so we're excited. Yeah, I can't remember a time. I mean, I love the NFL draft, and I, I read mock drafts, like, starting from back in the middle of the season. I think it's really interesting to see how things shift. I mean, Joe Burrow, when the season started in September, was considered like a fourth-round pick. And then, you know, he has just obviously flown up the draft boards. He's the consensus number one pick at this point, or at least consensus that, you know, that's what the Bengals are going to do. Uh, but I very rarely will ever be like, hey, you know, this is a three-day event. I'm just going to sit down and, you know, watch it on Thursday night, watch it on Friday night, and then watch it on Saturday. But honestly – you know, what else do we have to do? You know, watch all these documentaries, like, on Netflix and stuff. Like, there's just not much else to do. There's not live sports on. So I could truly say I think I'm going to probably consume at least 80% of this, like, well into even the seventh round. I'll just have it on the background. You know, why not? It's better than, you know, watching right. the depressing news or, or watching old games. And I, I think, the like, the uniqueness of the situation adds to it, too, you know. It's yeah. like even though you or I, you know, the the number of players from the seventh round that are going to be big time players in the NFL is relatively small. Um, but just the uniqueness of the whole deal, I want to see these these seventh round picks who are in their homes with their families who are so excited that they just got drafted. The whole thing is is so unique. I, I can't say enough. The NFL is has has and is hitting a home run this entire quarantine season because their season's not even going on and they are dominating headlines at least positively they've got free agency they're going through with the draft even though it's going to be you know challenging and difficult whereas leagues like the the NBA the NHL and others have you know haven't had games, they haven't had trades or free agency, they've talked about pushing their drafts back. It's just the the NFL I think really hitting a home run. Yeah, and also they don't it's not like depressing news, right? If you go to MLB dot com, it's like when will spring training start? You know, how is it gonna be possible for them to do the season? If you go to the NBA, you know, storyline, whether it's Woj or whoever you want to read, it's it's like will they even get a season in? But the NFL doesn't have to worry about that. You know, they're their games, you know, barring a absolute catastrophe and a whole second wave of this coronavirus stuff, everything is going according to plan for the NFL, right? So it, it's just all, all positive buzz. And it starts this Saturday, and I think they're really going to own the calendar, um, at, at least for now, you know, and, until the other sports really talk about coming back, because right now everything's kind of in flux. I think this is uh, and I, you know, I'm not necessarily a huge NFL guy. I'm more, we're both more college football fans than we are NFL fans, but I'm going to be watching the NFL network for the foreseeable future, which is not something that I normally do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and how unique too, Mike, is it that, you know, two giants, the NFL network owned by the NFL and ESPN, you know, coming together in this weird time, um, and they're going to do this whole telecast together. And so, you know, instead of choosing, do I want to hear Rich Eisen or Trey Wingo, you know, I'm going to get them both. I'm going to get Lewis Riddick. I'm going to get Ian Rappaport. I'm going to get, um, you know, all the college game day guys are going to be there. It's it's so unique. It, it, I feel like it's going to be the best breakdown of the drafts that we'll ever see because they're all together, you know, in this, really for what feels like for the fans. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. And, Nate, with that in mind, um, let's kind of get into a little bit. We're going to talk about the Ohio State guys that are projected to be drafted 
a little bit later on, but I just want to start with the biggest story off the top, which is Joe Burrow. He's going to be picked number one by the Bengals. And, Nate, I'm just going to throw it to you with this loaded question. Joe Burrow or a healthy Tua Tagovailoa, who would you draft number one if you were the Bengals? So, assuming you did a physical to his hip, wrist, ankle, um, that's all checked out. That's fine. Would you still go with Burrow number one if he were the Bengals? I think I would roll with Joe Burrow. Um, and, and you know, certainly the health side of things play into that equation. Even though, like you said, Tua is healthy, he's ready to roll, Tua has shown uh, an innate kind of preset or something that is has caused him to have a lot of injuries. You know, he's had the tightrope surgery on both ankles. He, he's broken and dislocated the hip. Big injuries to a guy who relies on his mobility. Joe Burrow doesn't re- rely on his mobility. Joe Burrow stands in the pocket and relies on accuracy. Um, and and I, I think the game is starting to become, at least at the NFL level, the most accurate guys are the most successful you know, you look at at Drew Brees and Tom Brady, two guys in their 40s who are still going because they can throw the football accurately, incredibly high completion percentages. Same thing with a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Part of what makes him great is that, yeah, he can make plays, but when he's making those plays, he's so accurate. Um, and so I, I think Joe Burrow is the right, right pick. And on top of that, Mike, Outside of Michael Vick and Steve Young, Steve Young's a Hall of Famer. Michael Vick was okay. I can't really think of any great left-handed quarterbacks, so I'll just throw that out as well. What about Matt Liner, Jared Lorenzen? Those are the guys that come to mind. Matt Liner has potential. Yeah. Um, Chris Sims is another one. Uh, that's all I got. But, yeah, I think this is a good situation of it's like, oh, are you going to pick the guy with the high floor, low ceiling in Joe Burrow or the guy with the really low floor? I mean, it's definitely possible that Tua Tagovailoa, um, you know, maybe doesn't even complete a full season in the NFL. Who knows with his injury history? But he also has, like, the really high ceiling. You know, he's a guy that Alabama fans talked about since the second he jumped on campus. I mean, he was, you know, there was talk about him replacing Jalen Hurts after Jalen Hurts had won SEC Offensive Player of the Year. So he has had, you know, amazing pedigree all the way through. But I think if you're the Bengals, you got to ask yourself, like, you can win with Joe Burrow. You know, Joe Burrow, I talked about him on his podcast. He's kind of like Tony Romo. And, yes, Tony Romo never got it done. He never made a Super Bowl. But plenty of seasons in Dallas, the Cowboys could have won with Tony Romo. And I think you got to say, you could win with Joe Burrow. You can't win with Andy Dalton. You know, Joe Burrow at least has hit that threshold. And you know you're going to – I feel like he's got a very low bust potential. And you kind of just give yourself someone like that just to inject some positivity into the franchise for, you know, 10 years. Plus, he's a, he's a hometown kid. I think that's kind of cool, too. He's got a cool little story around him. I don't know. I think I think he's kind of a slam dunk number one pick, even if Tua was healthy for me personally. Yeah, and I think you make – you make excellent, excellent points, Mike. Um, and I'm with you. You know, I, I don't know if Joe Burrow, just given the state of the Cincinnati franchise, I don't know if that franchise is is ever going to be predisposed to win titles. Um, they feel a lot like the Browns, where it's it's kind of just a culture thing where they lose. And, you know, people had a lot of hope and Baker Mayfield, and I don't think that hope's gone yet, but Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow, kind of similar guys. Both have tons of moxie, incredibly confident, almost brash at times. Um, so it's going to be fun to see both those young quarterbacks in the AFC North um, to kind of see, you know, it, what separates one from the other. Let's also keep in mind with Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, and I really like Justin Herbert. I'm not saying Justin Herbert's any better than both of them, but with Burrow and Tua, they were both throwing to, what, five receivers on both of those teams or tight ends are going to end up in the NFL. You know, so they were – they just had such weapons around them, right? And Herbert is a guy going back, like, a couple of years ago. He was the projected number one pick. He went back to school for an additional year. So, I, I think, you know, a lot of people are sleeping on Herbert. I know he's still projected to go in the top ten. I could see a situation where Burrow gets number one and then someone trades up for Herbert. Um, and without people expecting that, and then he ends up having a good career. So, you know, he's kind of considered the third guy here, but I, I think he's going to have a really, really good career. 
Mike, let me ask you, you know, most of the listeners know I'm a, I'm a loyal Browns fan. You are a loyal Oakland Raiders fan. Um, a lot of the mock drafts seem to have the Raiders probably taking a defensive back. Um, the one I'm looking at right now, though, is by a guy named Chad Reuter. He does a seven-round mock for the NFL Network. And he has Oakland at the at the twelfth overall pick taking C D Lamb. What what would you think about C D Lamb coming to Oakland? Would you welcome that or do you think they need to go in another direction? No, I think C D Lamb's pretty good. I think if you if you look at what the Raiders had, well they had Darren Waller who's probably at this point a top eight receiving tight end in the NFL. They had Hunter Renfro who has really high potential just as a slot guy. I think you need a receiver on the outside to really make everything happen. And I know, like, okay, the quarterback's not there. I guess in the perfect world, I'd want them to draft Herbert, but it seems like Gruden wants the veteran. He wants Mariota. So I'm happy with C.D. Lamb. I think he's a playmaker. He's super fast. He's one of those guys that whenever I was betting against Oklahoma and, you know, C.D. Lamb got the ball in his hands on a screen pass, I was like, oh, wow, this is about to go for 70 yards and about to, you know, lose, <laughs> lose this touchdown. Here. I specifically remember in the Red River rivalry against Texas, he was just laying it up. So I'd be happy with C.J. Lamb. I think they need to improve their secondary, but they have two first-round picks because they also picked up the Bears pick in that whole Khalil Mack trade going back from a couple years ago. So, uh, yeah, give me C.D. Lamb to improve the offense and give me a defensive back after that. I like C.D. Lamb over Jerry Judy personally, so I'm good with that. What What do you think about for the Browns? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a new regime, uh, again, in the front office, uh, in Cleveland. Uh, John Dorsey's gone, and that has me feeling very nervous, Mike. It has me feeling incredibly nervous, to be honest with you. Um, the, you know, they have the 10th overall pick. Some of the mocks have them taken Makai Brecton. He's a tackle out of um, Louisville, 6'7", 365, big boy, but really good on his feet. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like what's ultimately going to happen is the, the Browns, as always, under Stassi, um, or, or excuse me, under Paul DePodesta, are going to trade down, probably trade down multiple times to accrue more second and third round picks, and then they're going to have guys who are okay, but they're not instant impact guys, and that's going to affect this team. You know, if, if somehow Isaiah Simmons is on the board still at number 10, the linebacker safety out of Clemson, if he's still on the board at 10, which is, is possible, they have to take him. But I, I don't know if they will. Um, so I, I personally believe the Browns are probably going to trade down, and that's going to hurt my heart a whole bunch. Would you be okay with, like, a boring left tackle pick just to kind of secure that line and protect Baker Mayfield? Because at this point, you're all in on Baker Mayfield, right? And I'm sure right. a lot of listeners of this podcast are Browns fans. And you got to think you got to just make the situation optimal for Baker. I know, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that are Giants fans, for example, and they're sitting at four right now, and there's going to be some explosive defensive players available at four. But they're thinking, you know, we're all in on Danny Dimes, so we need a left tackle to protect Daniel Jones. Are you kind of thinking the same thing if they do hold at that pick and kind of just protect Baker Mayfield or get him potentially? Uh, you, you don't need another weapon. I mean, you guys have plenty of receivers, but I feel like right. you need a left tackle. Definitely all in on beefing up that offensive line. That or defensive help, kind of like I mentioned. Uh, we definitely need help at the linebacking unit. Um, and so I think, yeah, it has to be – I would love a Makai Brecton or, or a Tristan Wirfs out of out of Iowa. One of those guys who could really solidify, you know, a line that's not terrible. A lot of the issues last year was the tackle play. We've got J.C. Treader at center, um, Joel Batonio there at left guard. So that there's some talent in the inside, but we need to shore up the 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 tackle spots. And so getting one of those big boys, I mean, imagine putting a guy who's 6'7", 365, um, you know, on, on Baker Mayfield's blind side. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, he needs like a Joe Thomas in his prime. Joe Thomas never had the quarterback besides one year right. with Eric Anderson. So now Baker Mayfield needs a needs his left tackle and needs his Joe Thomas. That's uh well put, Mike. Well put. 
Uh, Nate, who else in this draft? So if I had to tell you, like, some guy that's being talked about in the top ten that you don't like, you know, we're about to crush some dreams right now with our own NFL draft analysis. So who is a guy that's being talked about for the top ten? And Nate, that's going to be a bust, but you can't pick anyone from Alabama because I know you just want to, but I'm going to put that qualifier since I know you hate Bama. Okay, okay, that's that's fair. Um, I, you know, I'm going to go with a Big Ten guy, and, and a part of me, it really hurts to do this because, you know, I, I really don't have a problem with him as a player, um, but I think he's got a lot of tread on his tires already, and I'm I'm talking about Jonathan Taylor, you know, he's, He's been the staple of the Wisconsin offense for three straight seasons now. You know, multiple hundred yard or multiple hundred carry seasons in a row, three in a row here. Um, several mocks I've seen have him sneaking into the late first round to a team like the Dolphins. And I just, I don't think that he is worth a first round selection, not because the talent's not there. But he's a running back, and three of the best years of his career were used in college. Um, and, and Wisconsin didn't have someone to compliment him. And you think back to the Ezekiel Elliott years, and really Zeke was only the guy and carried a, a heavy load for probably about one season. He did it, you know, his sophomore year, um, the national title year late in the year, and then his junior season, we won a lot of those games by a lot of points, and so he was out by halftime. Um, Jonathan Taylor, not the case, so I'm, I'm going to go with the running back there in the first round. Where would you go? I'm going to go with the guy that we talked about before the podcast. He's kind of mocked in some mock drafts. He's mocked to go to the Raiders uh, and pick 19, which would be unfortunate, but A.J. Terrell in Clemson, I am always skeptical of guys that have really great talent around them. We're going to talk about uh, Damon Arnett later in this podcast, but I would be kind of, you know, skeptical on Damon Arnett, for example, because he had Jeff Okuda lined up opposite him, right? So he's always going to draw the second receiver. And A.J. Terrell is a guy who has a ton of ton of talent in that Clemson defense, whether it's the Clemson pass rush that was helping him out or just, you know, Isaiah Simmons being on the field as well. He had a lot of talent around him. He was able to take more chances. So I'm not a big fan of A.J. Terrell. Um, personally, I think that would be kind of like my bust guy. And then along that same thought process, I think Henry Ruggs is another guy. I mean, when you have Tua Tagovailoa throwing you the football and you have the other team's best cornerback on Jerry Judy, you're going to get a lot of open looks as the second Alabama receiver. So, I mean, Henry Ruggs is projected to go in the top 15, which I, I don't really know why. I mean, I know he's, like, super fast and stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, if he ends up in Denver, I think that's a mistake. I, I, I just see that being a huge, huge bust potential. I mean, they have just nothing going on. Cortland Sutton, um, you know, <laughs> Noah Fant, and Drew Locke. Give me a break. That would be a terrible, terrible spot. Uh, yeah, I think that is a – that's one that I've been keeping an eye on as well. Um, Mike, you know, a lot of the top-end talent in this year's draft for, you know, what seems like maybe the fourth or fifth year in a row are Ohio State Buckeyes. And so, you know, we thought that it would be fun to kind of give an overrated, underrated type game um, here for those who are supposed to be drafted um, from Ohio State. So do you want to get into that? Yeah, let's do that. Let's start off with uh, the Predator, Chase Young himself. He's projected to be the second-round pick, uh, or second pick overall, sorry. Second-round Chase Young, that'd be a steal. Uh, second pick overall to the Redskins. <laughs> kind of mocked everywhere as that edge rusher. Um, what do you think about – well, first of all, do you think the Redskins should draft Chase Young? And do you think Chase Young is going to have the NFL career that people are – projecting him to have do you think he is properly rated at that number you can't really be underrated at the number two spot but do you think that he is going to have the nfl career that people are projecting him to have at that at that spot in the draft i'm actually going to answer the overrated underrated question mike and i'm going to say that this guy is underrated so he should be going number one uh, he should be going number one to me he is far and away Similarly to, to how it worked last year, far and away, 
the best player in the entire draft, just like Nick Bosa a season ago. And, you know, you guys can call me a homer, but the facts don't lie. Nick Bosa was a dominant force on a Super Bowl team last year, and they made it to the Super Bowl in part because of their defensive line. Um, and so, you know, I think Chase Young's underrated. I think he's a generational-type prospect. He's long. He's quick. He's strong. He, some say he's still growing. Um, and he works hard. He's a leader. He's, he's the complete package player. Uh, and so for him to go there but the top, top pick to me is undervaluing him as a player. Um, and so to answer your question, I do think that he's going to be, you know, a generational type talent. Yeah. And just going back to some of the other drafts. So 2014, number two overall pick is Greg Robinson tackle. I'm pretty sure he's not even in the league anymore. Next year, Marcus Mariota, basically a bust at that position. Next year, Carson Wentz, who's good, but he's had some, you know, injury problems. And then the following year, Mitchell Trubisky. So, you know, just looking at that, uh, you know, one in four, is, you know, is a successful pick. So I think that Chase Young, I think the Redskins would 100% be happy with this pick. I know some people are saying, oh, maybe they should get a quarterback. You know, Dwayne Haskins isn't ready. But you can find someone, and you can either stick with the guys you have, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, you know, the guys that have been there, or find a new free agent. I think Chase Young, he'll give you kind of Nick Bosa production, which is, you know, that's the Niners got Nick Bosa at a similar spot. Uh, yeah, I like this pick. I think he's properly rated at number two. And just to get up to the next guy, some people are saying Jeff Okuda is going to go to the Lions at three. And I don't really know how to answer this because I think that would be a good pick for the Lions. But I think number three is kind of, tough to put a corner you know cornerbacks don't usually go in the top five I don't really know why it just usually you always see quarterbacks um you know wide receivers or edge rushers that tends to be the or or tackles that's the projection I think Jeff Okuda is a good fit for Detroit considering they traded away Darius Slay at number three but I think he'd be overrated because as great as Jeff Okuda is I can't remember the last time a cornerback was drafted in the top three yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there, um, Mike. I think that he's going to be an incredible talent in the NFL. You know, he is. A lot of people say he is the like ideal body to play corner. He's long. He's quick twitch. He's got incredibly long arms, um, and so he's kind of the the model for that. But I'm with you. You know, there's. It feels like the top five in the draft is kind of reserved for the the quarterbacks, the offensive tackles, the defensive ends, and then very occasionally a defensive tackle or a wide receiver. It does feel like it's it's a bit high for Jeff Okuda, so I'll, I'll, I'll say he's probably a little bit overrated, um, but it's not him as a player. It's just a slot that he's being expected to go. Yeah, I actually just kind of did a quick little Google search, and a cornerback has never been drafted first overall in the NFL draft. That's pretty interesting. There you have it. Yeah, or at least, there uh, you have it. yeah, at least going back to you know last seventy years. So yeah, I don't really know why that's the case because if you find a shutdown corner, like how dominant was Darrell Revis uh, for so many years? But I guess that's just uh, right. you know, maybe that's like not the most dominant position on the field. Anyway, let's get into the second round, guys. Uh, three guys on the board here at second round, J.K. Dobbins, Devon Hamilton, and Damon Arnett. So we'll start with J.K. Dobbins. He's going to be drafted somewhere in that 32 to, you know, 38, probably early first round pick. Do you think uh, J.K. Dobbins will – is he overrated or underrated at early second round? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a third option here. I'm going to say properly rated. Um I talked earlier about Jonathan Taylor, a lot of tread on the tires. Um, J.K. Dobbins' first two years split time with Mike Weber. Um, I think that that helps him. Um, and, and you know, the last year he did carry the ball more, but he sat out a lot of second halves. Um, and so I, I think the early second round is, is proper for him. Um, I do think J.K. Dobbins, the big thing that he's got to do when he makes it to the NFL if he's going to have to get better at, you know, blocking, pass blocking, he's he's a little bit undersized, um, and so that's something that he could get exposed in. 
Um, so I, I look for that to be a reason that maybe he, he even falls a little bit from that early second round uh, projection, but I think that is a, a fair and adequate place for him. Yeah, this really pains me to do, but I'm going to say J.K. Dobbins is overrated. I think he's going to be he's going to go down as like a very underrated college football player. I think when we look back and see what J.K. Dobbins did production-wise, especially down the stretch last year, I mean he was just so so good in all those games. But he's five foot ten and he's 210 pounds, and he doesn't catch the ball super well out of the backfield. And if you're mm-hmm. going to be in the NFL and you're going to be a running back and you're going to be you know 210 pounds you're going to have to catch the ball out of the backfield. I can't think of any successful running back in the NFL that is that size and runs the ball in between the tackles well. So unless he can beef up and add 15 pounds, then he's kind of more in the acceptable range for what I would think of a true, like, bruising running back. I don't necessarily see it, but they're probably thinking, you know, like, what could be. Maybe, you know, they're drafting potential. They're going to mold him, I'm sure. Uh, this mock draft has him going to the Bills. I think that would be interesting because he would kind of split carries with Devin Singletary. So, uh, but personally, I don't necessarily see it. And I think J.K. Dobbins is going to go down as relatively a better college football player than NFL player, especially running back. It's a very deep draft. Um, you know, I would probably rather have, uh, someone like Cam Akers, who's kind of listed in that same range than J.K. Dobbins just because he's a little bit bigger. And, you know, also, look, J.K. Dobbins had incredible linemen blocking for him, too. He had the best lineman, best offensive line in the Big Ten. So that has to kind of take and be taken into consideration, too. Nate, what about the next guy, Devon Hamilton? I, I was kind of surprised when I saw Devon Hamilton this high. I kind of thought he'd be a third, fourth rounder, but he slotted somewhere in the mid-second rounds. Yeah, I think that's probably a little overrated for, for Devon. You know, he had an incredible season. Um, played just out of his mind, and and I don't know what part of that you know goes to Chase Young and the the double teams that he received throughout the year, but but I think Davon did improve a lot in his time at Ohio State, um, and so I think he's going to be a force in the NFL for you know several years there in the middle, just plugging up lanes. He's a massive dude, um, but I think probably third or fourth round feels better for me than second round. I, I like him as a prospect. I don't know how high I would go with him, but I think it's really, really valuable that he's big. You know, he's massive. He's 320 pounds, but we saw him generate a pass rush and play against the run as well. So I feel like he's going to be super valuable. You can throw him in there, you know, on third down when, you know, you're only pl- you're playing like nickel or dime coverage and he's just going to rush the passer and get after him. You know, essentially like he's the NFL version of the rushman and baggage, but you know, actually, I see a mock draft here with him going to the Raiders. That would be kind of cool. Uh, I, w- I would definitely take that. Okay, so next guy, yeah. A guy that you have criticized going back a long time in this podcast, Damon Arnett. Is he going to be a second-round pick? If so, uh, what do you think about that? I can't believe I'm going to say it. I, I think he's a little underrated. Uh, he had an incredible senior season. Um, improved a ton. It feels like as soon as as the approach to the secondary changed and we we're no longer doing the, you know, don't turn back and look for the football thing, that something changed for those corners and they could play with more freedom. Um, and I, I think that was especially true for him. Um, and so I I think that I, I think David Arnett's going to be a solid pro. I really do. I I think that He's athletic. He's quick. He he may have to move inside of the slot. He's a little bit undersized for some of the bigger corners in the league, um, but I think he could do that. And and people forget he played most of his senior season with a broken wrist, um, and you wouldn't even have known it because he had such an impact uh, for the Ohio State defense. So I, I'm going to say he's a little bit underrated. I think he's good, and I think he obviously impressed us throughout the year. Um, but if you look at some of the other DBs who are in that same kind of vicinity, uh, I mean, they're not cornerbacks, but they are DBs. Antoine Winfield Jr., for example, and he's one guy. And then another guy that is Grant Delpit, um, the DB from LSU. And I think when you think about what Delpit and Winfield did for their teams on defense, I just feel like they were um, had more of an impact player. I guess I could speak 
to the position because safeties do have a little bit more impact than cornerbacks. But I'm fearful of Arnett just because he had Jeff Okuda opposite him. You know, he was never asked mm. to cover. And also the Big Ten to begin with doesn't have the receivers that the Big 12 does, right? You know, when you have guys like even in Baylor and TCU, they have, you know, first-round receivers. So I don't think he necessarily had the stiffest competition. He had great guys around him. He had Chase Young and Devon Hamilton generating a pass rush. So I think if you – I would I would feel like Arnett was a more solid pro and a more solid prospect if he had the same kind of impact in production coming from, like, an Iowa. But I think when you think about all the talent that he had around him and what he was asked to do in our defense, you know, you're, I think you're just drafting on speculation here. And I feel bad because he really did turn everything around. I'm glad he came back for his, his senior season. But I, I don't know. I'm just not as high on David Arnett as I thought I would at certain points in the year. I think that's fair. That, that's absolutely fair. So we got that well, like. Well, so we're going to attack the fourth round guys here. Um, okay. I think I'll just start off the top with KJ Hill. I think this is a steal in the fourth round just because yep. KJ Hill is such a low floor guy. You know, how many fourth round picks mm-hmm. just flare out and you never hear from them? I mean, some guys don't even make the roster. But KJ Hill is a guy, he's going to be a solid fourth receiver, third receiver, maybe a slot guy for his entire career. I could see him playing, you know, seven, eight years in the NFL. Look at what Terry McLaurin did for the Redskins this past year. KJ Hill, you know, all most receptions in the history of Ohio State football. How often can you draft a guy like that in the fourth round? He's a solid blocker. He's a solid locker room guy, just top to bottom. He is very underrated at the fourth round. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm with you, Mike. Underrated guy. I think he's at least a 10-year pro, and he's going to make money in that slot. You know, you think of a of a Wes Welker or a Julian Edelman. Those two guys less athletic than K.J. Hill, and and K.J. Hill has shown an ability to catch the ball over the middle time and time again. He's got strong hands. Um, I'm with you. I think he's an absolutely an absolute home run wherever he goes um, in this draft. I can see him going to the Patriots. I mean, Belichick has had a great uh, pedigree in drafting receivers recently, but I feel like he fits that Dion Branch mold, you know, Kind of a guy that a lot of people sleep on, but he can have a lot of impact. Nate, the next guy, Malik Harrison, outside linebacker. Harrison's had an up-and-down career for Ohio State, but was very solid towards the end. I felt like the you know defensive coordinators finally figured out how to use him. Uh, I'm surprised Harrison's going to the fourth round. I feel like maybe he's just a little undersized to be an NFL outside linebacker. Maybe that's why they have him there. Man, I, I, I'm a, with you, Mike. I think he's underrated at, at a fourth-round pick. He's incredibly athletic. It's it's known that the Ohio State football team kind of has a a dunk contest every year in the off season together. You know, kind of the players, and he wins that routinely. Um, super athletic. He's gotten a lot better in coverage. I think he's a guy that can can rush the quarterback a little bit as well. Um, and so I I think that you know. That Malik Harrison should probably be going second or third round. He's he's the exact type of guy um, that you're looking for in the NFL at the linebacker position. Versatile, can cover, can blitz when needed. Um, that's exactly what you want. I kind of envision him. Maybe it's because of Ryan Shazier, but I kind of envision him as a really good stealer. I think the Steelers that would be a great spot for him. They just do a really good job of kind of rolling over. Uh, linebackers year after year. Linebackers and receivers, uh, the Steelers are really good at drafting. I feel like that would be a good spot for him. And, hey, as a fourth-round pick, you're not necessarily starting in the NFL right away, but you can, you know, be a rotation guy and work your way into the mix by the end of your first season, maybe your second season. So that would be a decent landing spot for him. Um, let's talk about Brandon Bowen, who's projected to be a fifth-rounder. I was kind of surprised, honestly, that this guy's even drafted. I think when, yes, he had a pretty good, like, Ohio State career, but this guy does not jump off the page as a, you know, uh, stellar blocker necessarily. Uh, not a guy who's going to bowl you over in the run game or do great in the pass protect. But I guess as a fifth round, at the fifth round spot, like, what are you really, you know, expecting to get at that point? But I guess this surprised me mostly because I saw Jonah Jackson slotted in the seventh round. And for whatever reason, I just kind of anticipated yeah. Jonah Jackson being higher than Brandon Bowen. Yeah, yeah. While we're on the topic of of, of the two of them, I, I think Jonah Jackson may be the most underrated guy um, for Ohio State. I think 
you know, he he was a, a two-year starter at Rutgers, uh, captain there, came to Ohio State. He's a leader. He was arguably our best offensive lineman this season. Um, just a, a really solid guard. He can play center if needed. I think he's going to make a team very happy for 10 years. Uh, as for Brandon Bowen, I'm with you, Mike. I think he's probably overrated, probably a seventh-round or undrafted type of guy. I think what is attractive about him is that he can play multiple positions on the line. You know, he played um, he played some guard there the first year he started before getting injured, and and this past season he's played he played right tackle. Um, and so I, he's a, he's kind of a diversified guy, which I think in the NFL cannot hurt. Yeah, that's true. And I'm looking at some of the like what the scouts say about him, quote unquote. It said Bellin moved to right tackle for Ohio State. He was solid, although not impressive. He looks like a backup player uh, for the NFL, which is true. And if you can kind of swing around to different points in the line, all you have to be is serviceable at that spot. Which you know he could be an undrafted free agent. Hopefully he does get drafted. You know, and um, you know for his sake. Next guy we'll talk about is Ben Victor in the sixth round. I feel like this one, you're just rolling the dice. You know, Ben Victor, certain yep. plays where he'll just go up there and grab it. You're like, wow, is that Randy Moss? I'm not sure. But then other times, you know, you're just not really sure. And he's very fast. I feel like at some points last year, he was kind of looking like, um, you know, as I said, he had those Randy Moss moments. He also had some breakaway speed. Uh, there was that one specific screen pass that he, I can't remember the game. And, you know, that – that just goes to show why we need to do another podcast, just rewatching the season uh, next next week or the week after. But yeah, he, he's he's explosive, and I guess why not throw a waiver on him for the sixth round? So I would say he could potentially be very very underrated, but he also could potentially you know not be in the league in three years. Yeah, I feel like he's a guy who is still you know it it it's probably getting to a point where it's too late, but he's. He's probably still hasn't figured out his body. You know, still feels a little lanky, a little awkward um, when he's, you know, caught the football and is, is running after the catch. But seeing a six foot four, 215-pound freak is enticing. Uh, so I think that he's probably properly rated for a six-round pick. I think he's a guy who could blow up, but he's, it, exactly like you said, Mike. He could be a guy that in a year, no one knows where he's at. And the last guy we're going to talk about, this is just one of the – I'm not going to say, like, sad story. You know, Nothing's really that sad. It's all relative. But Jordan Fuller, at some point, if you look mm-hmm. at the mock drafts in the middle of the year, you're like, wow, this guy is like a second or third round pick. And he went to the combine and he ran a 4.67, which is pretty slow, especially for a safety. And with that, now all of a sudden his stock – you know, direct drop to the sixth or seventh round because you do need a safety in the end of the day. If you're going to play free safety in the NFL, you're going to have to be able to chase down guys like Saquon Barkley. But, you know, it's crazy that, who knows, maybe a tweaked hamstring or he just wasn't feeling it that day. But a 40 time could have such an impact on a guy's draft stock. I mean, Eddie George, what, Eddie George ran like a 4.7 or 4.8 and he still had a great career in the NFL. I don't know. You know, I think Jordan Fuller's going to be a solid pro. I think the seventh round seems ridiculous for him. He did everything at Ohio State as a safety. He had 62 tackles, two interceptions, four pass breakups. He was uh, a leader for that defensive unit. I understand he might be limited by speed, but he just seems like a really good all-around pro. Yeah, I'm with you. And he's a, he's a incredibly brilliant young man. You know, if football doesn't work out, Jordan Fuller's going to be just fine. Um, but I'm with you. I think he's a guy who could could be a leader in a locker room. He, I don't know if he's ever going to be an all pro or even a pro bowler, but he has value. And, and I'm with you. It, it hurts me to see that he's fallen so much. Um, and even from a, a playing perspective, I mean, this guy played a, a single cover high safety look all season. So the the entire you know, length of the field was on him to protect. And I think he did an incredible job. That's what made the Ohio State defense so complete this season. So I think Jordan Fuller, incredibly underrated. I hope that that young man can get a shot, you know, like we said, third, fourth round. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, We have a lot of guys that are supposed to be drafted. It seems like kind of predictable in terms of where Chase Young is going to go. 
Jeff Okuda at the top. There's a lot of different landing spots for him, but there's going to be a lot of Ohio State highlights being shown uh, on ESPN when they do the draft, which is obviously always exciting. And then next year around this time, you know, I hate to break it to Ohio State fans, Justin Fields is probably not going to come back for a, for a third season. I think he's going to go to the NFL after next year. So, you know, we'll be talking about, you know, which team is going to trade up for Justin Fields. So that'll be pretty exciting because we haven't really had the opportunity to do that with any Ohio State quarterbacks in some time. So uh, obviously super exciting time for all, all football fans, but especially if you're an Ohio State fan, just because there are so many guys at the top of the draft that are getting a lot of talk. Yeah, I was, and I, I was just thinking, Mike, it's kind of crazy to think about that, you know, likely next year, Justin Fields, the top five pick. The following year, there could be, um, Garrett Wilson could be in the top ten. A guy like Zach Harrison could be a really high pick. Um, then you're getting into guys like Paris Johnson, a tackle, Julian Fleming. You know, all these guys still have to develop, but man, Ohio State could have guys at the top of the draft for a really long time. Um, Mike, we have a couple of questions here from our our listeners. Would you like to get into those? I think you're going to enjoy them. Yeah, well, let's round out the podcast with some questions. And remember, you guys can tweet anything to us at Nuts for Bucks Pod. Uh, we would appreciate any questions over Twitter, and we'll we'll catch up to them the next time we podcast, probably a week or two down the road. All right, all right. So the first question we have comes from David, uh, and he he says, if you could choose any program outside of the top 25 to start a dynasty mode with in real life, who would you choose and why? Hmm. Okay, so we're just taking over the team as is, like, right now, right? We're not, like, this isn't, like, NCAA 2014 where, oh, I'm going to go take over Florida State. And, you know, right, <laughs> um, right, I right. Guess, I, you know, I don't know if they're considered a top 25 program right now because they haven't exactly won that much lately. But, like, where do you slot Florida State? You know, Florida State was an utter disaster last year. They almost lost the University of Louisiana Lafayette. They finished the year, like, 6-6. Six and six. But they're still a really good program, you know. Like, so would that would they like not qualify as a top twenty-five job? In your opinion, um, I, I guess they wouldn't. Yeah, they wouldn't count as a top twenty-five job because uh, they're not in the top twenty-five. So I think they're definitely on the table. But I guess if, if I'm going to go a little bit more off the radar, I think Iowa would be pretty cool. I think you have a really passionate fan base there. Uh, Kirk Ferentz has done a pretty good job. Somehow he managed to hold on to his job year after year, despite like mediocre six and six seasons. Uh, you know, so every every person <laughs> will have the occasional ten and two season to keep his job for another fifteen years. Uh, but yeah, they seem to really love their coaches there. They love their football. It's easy to like recruit in Iowa because you just get those Iowa players, and occasionally you have to reach to the surrounding states. And I feel like they're kind of off the radar, but. And they got a great atmosphere, especially in night games. Um, so, yeah, give me Iowa. I feel like it'd be cool to be a Hawkeye. Okay. I, I'm going to get that Hawkeye tattoo. There you go. There you go. I'm going to go out west, uh, partially because I think the Pac-12 is a joke. Um, and I'm going to pick UCLA. Um, mm. You know, I, I feel like people have been trying to build up that program for forever. And so I don't know if I could actually pull it off. If Chip Kelly is not going to be able to pull it off. I don't know if I could either. But, it, I mean, it's so lucrative out there in, in, um, in Pasadena. Uh, beautiful spot. It's going to be easy to recruit kids there. California is a hotbed of talent. Um, and who wouldn't like to live there? So I, I'm picking, I'm picking UCLA. The, the second question we have, um, comes from Joey. Uh, and he asked, did either of you catch the NBA 2K tournament or the horse competition? Uh, what did you think of those events, and which one did you like more? Well, Joe Burrow, we thank you for the question. Uh, we appreciate that you're listening, <laughs> especially, you know. No big deal. Turn on, turn on this podcast. Nate's always been a big Joe Burrow fan. Um, I, I didn't see either of those. Did, who won, like CJ McCollum or something? I don't even know. I, I didn't see either. Um, I think the – Two K contest, Devin Booker won from the Suns, and then actually Mike Conley, Buckeye, won the horse contest. That I think that was in large part because he's very ambidextrous, so he could shoot the, with uh, his offhand. 
Oh, I thought the horse competition was the WNBA. Am I, there was a WNBA one too, right? It was a mix, both NBA and WNBA. That sounds so not exciting. Um, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I could watch people play video games. I think that'd be pretty cool, and they would go back and forth and trash talk. But I, I never really got into horse. It's like, oh, wow, you know, you, you shot it, like, behind your head. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you. I, on a scale of 1 to 10, I give the 2K tournament a 4, um, and the horse tournament I give a 2. Um, I thought the horse tournament was super lame. Uh, so like half the time the video was grainy and the angles that, you know, the players are filming this on their phones. And so it's, you can't have good angles of, of these trick shots or whatever, uh, to really see, you know, the complexity of it all. Um, so I would take the 2K tournament. I applaud ESPN for trying. Um, but why don't you just keep showing documentaries on the 98 Bulls? I would much rather watch that. Uh, last question here comes from Aaron. Uh, I think you're going to like this. He says, I want to hear each of your fitness routines during this court quarantine season. Well, it's kind of a sore subject, definitely losing muscle mass, uh, not not being in the gym <laughs> and, and hitting the weights. I'm not like Nate. I don't have a home gym, but – uh, been doing as many like circuit workouts as possible. Nate, I mean, you remember going back to to the way, days of college. Uh, you were a big insan. What was it called? It was the, it was the Sean T program. Was it insanity? Insanity, yeah. Yeah, insanity, kind of like that that sort of stuff. You know, like the leg kicks. Um, I'm, I'm not doing it justice right now, but but definitely you know, as many push ups as possible. I just ordered a pull up bar, but because of you know the backlog on Amazon, I'm not going to get that until June 2027. Um, so <laughs> it's going to be a while. I don't know, just as many push-ups as possible and a lot of abs, a lot more yoga than I would do otherwise and a lot of running. So I'm swimming down. I lost five pounds since quarantine started. What about you, Nate? Okay, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I got pretty fortunate, asked for some, some weights for Christmas this year. Uh, in true Nate, my, my, yeah, my family and for my wife, my beautiful wife and, uh, and little did I know it was going to be so important, you know, with with the quarantine coming. I had no idea that it was going to pay off in the way that it has. Um, but it, it it's been wonderful, and so um, and so I have two sets of dumbbells that with a bunch of like little plates that go with them. I can get the dumbbells up to, I think. Around 75 pounds, which is solid. solid. I have a little yeah. bench. That's better than most I have a little bench. bench. Right. And so I've been trying to do a lot of the same stuff. Um, and then the apartment complex I live in is kind of in a circle manner. And I went out and kind of measured how long that circle is. It's an, and it's an eighth of a mile. And so in the, over the course of my lifting, I try and also um run a mile so just eight of those little laps um and and that felt really good for me so that that's what i'm doing it's getting the job done not ideal but you know it is what it is i feel like rocky balboa with these workouts you know and i think that that, that's kind of the same thing too it's like if you have weights and you have a bench press it's like you know Go back to 1980, you know, no more like these crazy like cable machines or TRX bands. I guess you could do those too in quarantine, but it's just very like old school workout routines. And I gotta be honest, it's not like that bad. I thought it would have been a lot worse. If you told me I couldn't go to the gym or watch sports um, for two months, I would be like, kill me now, you know, like, I, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but, but it's been okay. It's it's been serviceable. Nate, I have a quick trivia question for you before we leave. Yeah. I know you're all over the 24-7 sports rankings. Do you know who number two in the class of 2021 is right now behind Ohio State? Uh, Yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, how about that? Crazy. Yeah, for four stars, they have 11 four stars and three two stars. To put that into comparison, Ohio State is number one. With three five stars, four twelve, the twelve four stars, and then two three stars. Uh, so that's, you know, that's pretty cool. And Nate, you said you wanted to take over UCLA. Well, UCLA is number ninety one right now, and you would be inheriting a program that has one three star. Yikes! 
Yeah, they're behind uh, Division One AA team William and Mary. So you would be inheriting quite the mess uh, if you walked over to UCLA right now. Yeah, and and Mike, I will I will throw in real quick on the recruiting news. You know, I love that. Um, actually, today the number in the composite, he's number one, and two four seven's own rankings, he's number two. Uh, Corey Foreman, defensive end, committed to Clemson, decommitted today. Um, he is a West Coast kid. Most people think probably going to end up at USC, um, just wants to stay closer to home. Um, obviously, we'd love for him to come to Ohio State, but the fact that the, the distance between Ohio State and Clemson widens uh, cannot be a bad thing. So excited about that. The Buckeyes also, you know, added um, – Janston Dunn, the number one player in Kentucky yesterday. He's an, a four-star athlete, probably going to play safety or corner. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I'm loving what I'm seeing from Ohio State right now. Keep keep building that class. But I think we might be breaking some news here because uh, Corey Foreman, according to 24-7 Sports, looking at it now, committed to USC at 3.06 today, uh, according to – Oh, okay. Yeah, according to some guy from com. I don't know how, you know, reliable that is necessarily, but that's fine. You know, keeping out of the Big Ten, as far as I'm concerned, USC had a pretty brutal recruiting class uh, this past year. I think they were, like, you know, ninth in the Pac-12 or something crazy like that. So, hey, that's fine. You know, I want to stay closer to home. As long as he's not going to Clemson, Alabama, or a Big Ten school, we're happy with that. There you go, though. That Breaking news here on Nuts for Bucks. <laughs> Who says that – a quarantine is going to hold us back. Yeah, we're right up there with Adam Schefter and uh, Darn right. <laughs> All right, I think we're going to end it at that point. Uh, we'll be back. We're gonna we're thinking about doing some kind of like rewatchable on the season because you know I was watching some of these random Ohio State games with my dad over quarantine. Like I don't even remember this play. What the heck? And sometimes it's cool to just go back. And we had such an amazing season last year. It obviously ended with a sour note. But to go back and kind of relive some of the moments in the 2019-2020 Ohio State season would be would be kind of cool. So that's our next podcast idea. And if you guys have any questions, please tweet them to us at Nuts for Bucks Pod. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that.